0: be patient with me I have a story for you this morning from my days at summer camp and yes I have to begin be patient with me because I know we've heard a number of these summer camp stories but this is a new one this is a new one and I wanted to share with you this morning You see, I was a camp counselor for a couple of summers, had a Christian summer camp in Western New York. Great time, Uh, loved every minute of my chance to be there. And a funny thing about being a camp counselor is that every single week you got a new batch of campers who showed up, who you were then responsible for, your, your cabin group. And so every single week for about seven to eight weeks each summer, I was responsible for 10 or so young men of varying and different ages. And now here's the thing that I can tell you, the secret of the camp counselors, is that we loved nearly every single week of camp. We loved the campers that would come in and be entrusted to our care because they all wanted to be there too. For many of these individuals, this was the highlight of their summer. They couldn't wait to spend one week away from mom and dad at camp, except Except there was one particular week of the summer where the campers weren't quite as enthusiastic. You see, every summer we led a confirmation camp. And now the reason that this was a less than enjoyable summer for the campers and the camp counselors, mind you, is because confirmation camp was a requirement in western New York. You see, if you wanted to be confirmed at a Lutheran church in Western New York, there was this expectation that you had to spend at least one week of your summer at camp. This was required if you wanted to be confirmed. And yes, confirmation students, I'm thinking about this myself. But more to the point, what would happen then is you would get a cabin group of individuals and not all of them wanted to be there. And so they would have their own ways of showing this. They weren't as enthusiastic when they were singing the camp songs. They didn't play along when I would take them on my creative nature hikes. And they certainly wouldn't listen and follow all the rules to the crazy camp games. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because there was one day when I was with my cabin group of confirmation campers, about 10, 11-year-olds, if you will, And we were playing a game, and the way that it worked is I was changing the rules again and again throughout the course of this game, just to keep them on their toes. I can't remember exactly my larger point in doing this, but I'm sure there was a good reason. And so the game would go along, and I'd say, okay, okay, stop, now the lowest score wins. And so they'd have to totally change the way they were playing, because now they didn't want to score points, they wanted to not score points. And then, then I'd say, stop, 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 now you can only play with your feet. Okay, and so now they're having to adjust to this, and I was doing several of these changes throughout the course, until at one moment, about the sixth or seventh change in, one of the 11-year-olds, one of the 11-year-olds who really didn't want to be at camp that week, he looked at me and he said, we don't have to listen to you. And I said, no, 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 try it again. No, no, we're, we're going to play. You can only pass the ball now. You can only. He's like, no, we don't have to listen to him. Come on, guys, just keep playing the way we were. He staged a coup right there. Everything worked out in the end. And while it was very frustrating in the moment to have my authority questioned like that, I think this young man has something to teach us. See, because his, his, the, what he said has a wider application for us. We need to ask ourselves again and again, whose rules are we following or or who is changing the rules in our life? And we're just going right along with it. I'd like to talk to you about this a little bit here this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19 as our preaching verse. We heard it already read this morning, but we'll read it again. I've titled this sermon, what kind of king are you looking for? Please pray with me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. Open up those Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be beginning at verse 28. We're going to get a couple extra verses than what we heard earlier. And if you would, if if it is your practice, please stand with me as we read the gospel passage. We do this out of a a sense of reverence for the word. Uh, Lutherans believe that every time the gospel is read, Jesus Christ comes and walks among us in the reading of that word. And so in reverence for Jesus' presence with us now, please stand with me as we read. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples ahead, saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and, and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path, Down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if they were silent, Even the stones would shout out. Church, this is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. You can be seated. And so, yes, church, it is Palm Sunday. And we read this morning about Jesus's triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem a great moment, a moment that seems to be the culmination of so much of Jesus' teachings and his life and ministry. It is all coming to a climactic conclusion in Jerusalem. And if you look carefully at the scriptures, you can find places where Jesus is predicting this. Way earlier in Luke, in about chapter 9, Jesus says, we're told, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And if you read the scriptures carefully, you can see how many of the miracles and teachings that came after that were all in preparation for his triumphal entry into the city but now it wasn't just that jesus had a mission in mind that brought him to jerusalem there was also a very practical reason that he and his disciples were traveling to the city that day you see this is all taking place around the time of the jewish passover in fact later on that week jesus will share the passover meal with his disciples and you need to remember that the Passover is the highest of Jewish holidays. The most important, the most holy of holidays, when they remember the ways that, the, that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt into freedom, led them to the promised land. That's what the Passover celebration is all about. And so when you have the highest of Jewish holidays... Everyone would want to be in the holiest of Jewish cities, which is Jerusalem. So it wasn't just Jesus who was coming into Jerusalem that week. There were Jews from all over the country who were making their pilgrimage to the holy city. They wanted to be right there in Jerusalem to celebrate this holy holiday. That's part of why Jesus was making his entrance. That's part of why there were so many people there who were excited to see him. Undoubtedly, they had heard about this rabbi who was performing miracles and teaching. They had heard the whispers that maybe this was the Messiah. And so they were probably already there in Jerusalem hoping to catch a glimpse of this Jesus who they've heard so much about. But now, you knew all of that, I'm sure, or at least some of the details. You knew that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. But did you know that there was another triumphal entry that took place in Jerusalem that week. You see, whenever you've got a big event taking place in a city, you've got to kind of up the police presence, if you will. Remember a year ago, we all want to remember this, right? When, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and we had that big parade And there were people coming from all over the country. Folks who had lived in Philadelphia, had remained Eagles fans, but didn't live here anymore. They flew in in order to see this Super Bowl parade. And folks from the suburbs were coming down. And there was way more people in the city that day than usual. And so what did the city do? The city had to up the police presence. Right? We had to be protective and make sure that everything was in good working order. So that nothing got out of hand. And church, it was the same way in Jerusalem. There were actually multiple times during the year when Jews would travel in order to celebrate a religious holiday in the city. And whenever those influxes of Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem, whenever that happened, the Roman government needed to keep crowd control. They would send in more soldiers in order to keep things in line. And they would send the governor. A little guy that you might know named Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate, he lived west of Jerusalem in a town called Caesarea. That's where his mansion was. That's where he just kind of let things run their course. But he would have to go to Jerusalem every now and then, particularly at times like this, when lots of people were coming to his city. And so he would travel in from the west. And whenever he would enter the city, he needed to set the tone. He needed to set the tone for how things were going to be. And so Pilate would ride in on a war horse, some sort of horse that had seen battle that was big and intimidating and triumphant. And Pilate would wear his armor and he would be flanked by soldiers on all sides and he would make his triumphant entry into the city. And it would set the tone for the people. Don't step out of line. You know who's in control here. You know whose kingdom this is. It's mine, Pilate says. And using fear and intimidation and dominance and violence, Pilate would enter the city and everyone would stand up and take notice. And so you need to realize that during the week when Jesus rode in to the city on a donkey. Pilate was riding into that same city on a warhorse flanked by soldiers. There were two very different messages entering the city that week. Two very different kings, two very different kingdoms coming to Jerusalem. And all the Jews would have seen and noticed and had a lot to think about. Now, there's another detail. That really brings this all to to connections together. You see, Jesus didn't just go to the city because it was the Passover. And he went because he had a mission in mind. And Jesus didn't just ride in on a donkey because he thought it was a good idea. There was some deep symbolism at play when Jesus was entering the city that day. Open your Bibles. Pastor, we already opened our Bibles once. Two for one scripture. That's right, Palm Sunday. Open your Bibles to a little book called Zechariah. You weren't expecting that, were you? It's on page 836 in the Old Testament. It's one of the last books in your Old Testaments. Zechariah chapter 9 is where we're going to be. That's page 836. Now, you need to remember that Jesus... And all the Jews gathered in Jerusalem, they knew their scripture. When you went to school as a good little Jewish boy or girl, you had to memorize the scriptures. And so they would have known about this passage from Zechariah that I'm about to read you. This wouldn't have been a revelation to them. They would have known exactly what Jesus was doing. Listen with me now. Verse 9. Zechariah 9, chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the sea. Now, as I said, every good Jewish person gathered in Jerusalem that day knew this scripture passage. And so imagine yourself in that position. You've heard about this rabbi Jesus, who some say might be the Messiah. You've heard about him. And all of a sudden, there he is, entering the holy city on a donkey, And this would have clicked in your mind. You would have said, wait a second, wait a second. Where have I heard that before? Entering the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. How does the rest of that go? Oh, here's how it goes. He will come to cut off the war horse from Jerusalem. He will establish peace in the nations. You see, when Jesus came riding in on a donkey, they would have realized that this was a direct affront To Pilate, who came riding in on a war horse and who lived by violence and domination. This is why they shout Hosanna. This is why they shout Hosanna is because a totally new message is coming into their city. It's coming riding in right before their eyes. Things are about to change. There is a new kingdom taking shape right in front of them. And they are there to see it. And now... That's why they shouted Hosanna. That's why everyone got so excited. But this leaves us with a very clear question to be asking this morning. What type of king are you looking for? Are you looking to the west where Pilate rode in? Are you practicing ways of fear and intimidation in order to get what you want You see, you don't have to be a tyrannical king like Pilate in order to practice the ways of Pilate. If you are always insisting upon your own way and clinging to control, that's the way the Pilate did things. If you are using fear and shame and guilt in order to manipulate someone else in order to get what you want, that's the way Pilate did things. If you are bullying and belittling other people, in order to make yourself feel better in some way, that is the way Pilate did things. But the ways of Jesus that came riding into the city, those were the ways of peace and compassion and grace and mercy and love. This is an entirely different kingdom than Pilate's. In in fact, I told you, Pilate came into the city from the west. Caesarea was west of Jerusalem, so he rode in from the west. But if we look back in the scriptures, the beginning of Luke chapter 19 says that Jesus was in Jericho, which is east of Jerusalem. So when Jesus came riding in, he came riding in with a message of peace and love and compassion and grace, and he came riding in from the east. And Pilate's message is the exact opposite, and it came from the west. The message is clear. These Two are vastly different kingdoms, and never the two shall meet. And the truth, church, the truth, church, is that we have the choice each and every day, hundreds of times a day, to choose the ways of Jesus or the ways of Pilate. You're never going to be 100% perfect on this, but you always have the choice. Will you choose intimidation and fear, or will you choose... Mercy and compassion and love. Now, I've been asking us to think through all of this this morning because we are called to show love like Jesus showed love. But I want to close by reminding us that in the end, what matters most is what Jesus does for us. Because Jesus rode into that city that day for you and for me. Not just on some whim, but because he had a mission for the sake of the whole world. And now, just to tie this together, I want to tell you about what happened at the end of that week of Confirmation Camp. It was all coming back around. You see, every week when we were at camp, be patient with me, (laughs) be patient with me, every week when we were at camp, we would end the week with what was called a Christ Hike. And what this was, was it was the counselors and sometimes some of the campers would take on different roles within the Jesus story and we would reenact many of the key moments in Jesus' life. And so the whole camp would walk from one part of the campus to another, watching these different scenes acted out by the counselors. And it would end with Jesus' death and resurrection. And afterwards, you'd always get together with your cabin group and kind of debrief what had happened. And I remember that same kid who had challenged my authority earlier in the week, who didn't want to be at camp. He said, I never realized how much Jesus has done for me. You see, and that's the thing, church. We have a thousand opportunities every day to choose the ways of Jesus or to choose the ways of Pilate. And you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to bat a thousand. But the truth is that when Jesus rode into that city on a donkey, it was for you. The message that Jesus was bringing in was a message for people throughout all time and all history. It was for you. And so, yeah, that means we're called to emulate and enact the ways of Jesus whenever we have a chance. But more than anything, we must never forget that the mercy of Jesus that he brought in that day is for you. And the grace of Jesus is for you. And the compassion of Jesus is for you. And the forgiveness and the love is for you. That's why when we gather at the table, we say again and again, the body has been broken for you. And the blood has been shed for you. This is our king. This is the king that we will choose to follow. This is the king that rode into the city for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Amen.